Morton Kondraka is known for several decades as a no-nonsense, independent-thinking journalist and uh, political commentator in America who appeared on shows uh, like the McLaughlin Group and the Fox News Channel Beltway Boys. But few knew that his wife, former wife, Millie, had contracted Parkinson's disease. Well, one time in an interview with Dick Staub, Mort described how they first discovered the disease. He said that his wife had beautiful handwriting, and one day she was writing a check, and she couldn't form the letter K quite right as she was signing that check. And he said he he couldn't appreciate that there was anything different. It all looked the same to him, but she insisted that something was wrong. She couldn't form that quite right. Well, a little time passed, and later on she began to develop a tremor in her little finger on her right hand. And then her foot would begin to wobble sort of on the... um, brake pedal as she was driving continued to get worse and she finally went to the doctor and he prescribed for her Symmetril which of course is a uh, medicine for Parkinson's disease but the doctor didn't tell her what he was thinking was really wrong at this point he was just kind of grasping at straws trying to figure out what was going on and so she of course went home and she was taking that and like anybody that uh, has internet uh, she began to search and find out exactly what she was taking and he said that she called me up at the office one day totally distraught hysterical he said in a way that I had never really heard her before She said, you have got to come home right away. Something terrible has happened. He said, I thought that one of the kids had been in an automobile accident or or, or something like that. And so he said, I raced home as fast as I could go. And he said, when I went running into the house looking for her, I, I found her standing in the middle of the bedroom with that bottle of medicine in her hand. And she was sobbing and she said, this is Parkinson's medicine. I can't have Parkinson's. I've seen Parkinson's. It is a horrible disease. I won't be able to talk and I won't be able to walk. I won't be able to swallow. I won't be able to eat. And you'll have to take me to the bathroom and I'll be totally dependent upon you. And you won't love me anymore. In fact, you are going to leave me. I know you will. He said, I had to convince her that I wasn't going to bug out on her. He said, apparently 50% of men whose wives come down with a chronic illness just split the scene. She couldn't be sure, he said, that I wasn't on the wrong side of the 50% at the beginning. But after a certain point, she realized that I was there for the duration. When the interviewer asked Mort how he handled all of this, he said, well, you just ask God's help every day. In fact, multiple times a day I ask his help. I couldn't do this without God's help. I I, I prayed for his help and his strength and for Millie's deliverance all the time. In fact, fact, he said, "I, I simply could not do this without feeling that I was doing God's work in some small way in Millie's life. 
said, I have asked God numerable times, you know, so what is my purpose here on earth? Hoping that he would add some new and grandiose dimension to all that was going on in our lives right now, which he never did. And the message that always kept coming back to me was simply this, Mort, your job here on earth is to take care of Millie. And he did exactly that until the day she passed away. Isn't it amazing how far love will go? In our Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to turn to John chapter 13. And when we open our Bibles to John chapter 13, you're probably familiar with where that is at um, in the life of Jesus. Jesus is within hours of being falsely arrested. Within less than 24 hours, he is going to be dead. The events will not catch him by surprise. He is fully aware of what is about to take place in his life. And so all of that makes the last sentence in verse 1 all that more astonishing when, when the Scripture says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Instead of thinking about himself in those last hours of his life, Jesus is intentional about showing how far love will go. And the story of John chapter 13 and verse 1 through 17 has three different scenes in it. And in fact, I would like for you to walk through those scenes with me this morning. In the first scene, we see how specific knowledge can lead to action. In verses 1 down through 3, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and and was going to God. Specific knowledge leads to action. Verse 1 mentions that the immediate context of this passage is the Passover feast. Now we understand from studying scriptures that the Jews from all over the world at that time would make an annual uh, trip to Jerusalem and there at that time, even if they couldn't make it there, they would still celebrate this, uh, this feast, celebrate what God had, had done for them in bringing them out of Egypt. And so a special meal was, was eaten to remember how the blood had to be smeared on the doors of each Jewish home so that the firstborn in that home would not die. The meal also reminded them of how quickly they, they were kicked out of Egypt and how God had, uh, had claimed, claimed them as his own people. Now we cannot afford to miss that Right here, Jesus is living with a clear sense of his own identity. 
You would think if, if we would know that we had 24 hours to live, there's a lot of things that might be on our mind and we might be concerned about things and, and we might even begin to wonder about what, what is the purpose of my life anyways? I'm only 33 and a half years old or whatever. I mean, about the time of Jesus' life and, and, and what's going on here. But when we look at Jesus, we see that he has a very clear sense of his own identity. In verse 1, the last part again, having loved his own, who were, or the first part, I'm sorry, um, kind of in the middle there, Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father. And verse 3 then says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he'd come from God and he was going to God. So, first of all, he knew that he had divine authority. He, he had all the authority that the Father had. He was aware of his divine origin. He had come from the Father. And he was aware of his divine destiny. He was going back to heaven. In other words, Jesus knew who he was and what he had come to do. Now look at verse 4. Verse 4 said, He rose from supper and laid aside his garment, took a towel and girded himself. May I submit to you this morning that verse 3 is the basis for what happens in verse 4? Because Jesus knows who he is, he knows his authority, he knows his destiny, he knows where he came from. He was able to do what verse 4 says. On the basis of what Jesus knew, he now takes action to take care of the, ne- the necessary. And we would think, okay, 24 hours to live. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe there were a lot of things that Jesus needed to do. He wanted to talk to the guys. He wanted to help them to understand some things. I mean, what is necessary in the last 24 hours of your life? What would be at the top of the list? Was there a miraculous healing that needed to happen? Was it time for an insightful sermon from Jesus? Were there demonic powers that needed to be rebuked? No. There were dirty feet. I mean, would that be the, would that be the, 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 the top of the list if you knew you had 24 hours to live? That there are dirty feet in the room here. But that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus realized was important. You see, it was custom customary at that time when entering a home to have a, a servant waiting there to wash your feet. And the reason they did that is because they didn't wear shoes like we have. They had sandals and the city, the city streets of that day was packed with filth. Herds of animals would go up and down the streets. And if you've ever been, uh, you know, around animals, you know, they just kind of naturally behind what they naturally behind. They just, you know, they have no manners at all. And uh, it's just there in the middle of the street. And nobody's walking along with shovels, putting them in, in a wheelbarrow like you have in a parade or something like that. And so there it is in the street. And they didn't have garbage collecting services like we have today. And so if they had trash, oftentimes it would just end up out in the streets. And, and as you were walking along, you would step in stuff on a regular basis. Now you come into a home and you sit down to eat a meal. You didn't sit at a table like we sat that's nice and high and you sit down in a chair and your legs are under the table with your feet and the, ta- the food is all up here. No, they had, they had low tables and, and they would recline around that table and your feet would be like kind of right behind somebody else's head, like right there. 
And, and all the way around the table, that's how you would sit. And then you would eat as, as you sat around that table. And, and so you could see that, that uh, uh, would mean that dirty feet could ruin someone's appetite. So notice, notice also in verses 4 and 5 that our Lord not only went around the table and washed the disciples' feet, but he also took off his robe and he closed himself as a servant. He not only did the job that needed to be done, but he was also willing to look the part of a servant. Here's the creator of the universe. Here's the one who's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Here's the one who came to love us and to give us eternal life. He's willing to be a servant. And it didn't bother him that other people would recognize him as a servant at that time. One commentator mentions that usually the servant that washed the feet of of the guests wasn't even Jewish because this form of service was considered so menial that it was beneath the dignity of a Jew to wash another Jew's feet. And yet here is Jesus, 24 hours from dying on the cross, and the necessary thing is to wash the feet of the disciples. You see, that which Jesus knew about himself led him to action. As our Lord makes his way around the circle, we enter the second scene of that night, and that is initial puzzlement leads to opposition. You can imagine how the, how the disciples must have been confused about what was happening here, because here they are, they're sitting around, they're talking about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, who was going to sit at the right hand, and who was going to sit at the left hand of Jesus, and what positions that they were going to have, and that Jesus was going to establish this great kingdom, and now Jesus has taken on the form of a servant? They're confused. And so, as we look at our text in verse 6 down through 11, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are, are you washing my feet? <laughs> we kind of think, um, he's a sharp one. You know, this Peter, he's quick, you know. I mean, Jesus is going around washing feet, and, and he says, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. So... As we look at verse 6, Peter's question seems pretty obvious. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus has been washing everybody's feet, and, 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 and here he comes to his feet. Now, the Greek structure of this verse emphasizes a couple things that we don't see in our English, and the emphasis is on the pronouns. And that is like this, you... Lord, 
are going to wash my feet? Peter felt that Jesus should not degrade himself by assuming a position of a servant. Peter understood that Jesus was the Lord, the creator of the universe. And he knew his own heart and he knew his own life and he knew the sin that was in his own life. And he said, you are going to bow down before me and wash my feet? You're the Messiah. You shouldn't shouldn't be doing this. In verse... Eight, Peter opposed what Jesus is doing. He said, you shall never wash my feet. In other words, he was saying to the Lord, Lord, this is totally unacceptable socially for you to be washing my feet. And yet when Jesus mentioned that this is required to be a part of where Jesus is going, Peter does a 180 degree turn and he submissively relents and he said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And we look at that and we say, what is going on here? You know, we, we see Peter, he's just kind of flip-flopping all over the place. First Peter's, you know, is saying one thing, then he's saying another thing. And the thing that we need to understand is that Peter so loves the Lord that he can't imagine being an outsider. He, he recognized the Lord as the Messiah and he couldn't imagine Jesus washing his feet because he knew how how guilty he was in his own life and how, how, how imperfect he was. And he recognized Jesus as being holy. And he said, in essence, I'm not worthy to have you wash my feet, Lord. And isn't, isn't that amazing in our life? The closer we get to God, the more of the dirt in our life we see and the more, unworthily, we, the more unworthy we feel of his love and his grace and mercy to us. And yet when the Lord said, you, you have to, you know, allow me to do this to be where I am, as impetuous Peter was in refusing the Lord, he now flip-flops and embraces him. And, and in essence, he's saying, Lord, I want to stay close to you. I want to be with you wherever you are. I want to be there. I, I, I want to be beside you, Lord. But something else is happening here. You see, when we look at this, we, under, we, we see that Peter understood Jesus to be talking about the physical, but Jesus was referring to the spiritual here. This act of washing feet was, was meant to teach something powerful about lives being cleaned. Knowledge has led to action. Puzzlement to opposition. And that brings us to the third scene where dramatic modeling leads to explanation in verses 12 to 17. Literally 24 feet later, our Lord puts his robe back on and he comes back to the meal. A teachable moment has opened up and Jesus intends to take full advantage of that teachable moment. And so in verses 12 to 17, he mentions three key things about what has taken place here. In verses 12 and 13, it says here, Jesus said, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. The first thing is that my status of who I am did not stop me from serving. 
There were lives that need to be impacted. There's, there's things that need to be done. And, and yes, you say, you call me Lord and Master, and you say, right, because I am the Lord and Master. But that didn't stop me from being a servant. That didn't stop me from reaching out and doing those things that need to be done. Jesus accepted these titles because they were appropriate, but he didn't let his titles, he didn't let his status of who he was stop him from serving. And I'm afraid sometimes in our lives we get so built up in our own positions and who we are that we fail to serve others. We look at other people that we should be serving and we get this mistaken idea that somehow they need to be serving us. Now that's not true with Jesus. We do need to serve Jesus. But I'm talking about us now. In our titles, in our positions. But Jesus in his life, he didn't allow his status to stop him from being a servant that night. The second thing he mentions, that my status should jumpstart you. Look at verses, verses 14 and 15. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. In other words, Jesus is telling us, if I can do it, so can you follow my example. And that's why verse 16, when we look at verse 16, it says here, um, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Here he repeats the idea of greater. A servant is not greater than the master, and the messenger is not greater than the sender. And when we look at Jesus, Jesus is the master, Jesus is the sender, and we are the servants. We are the messengers. He says, follow my example. Be a servant to others. Help others come to know that they need to be clean in their life. You see, it was a spiritual lesson that he was talking about here. And lives need to be cleaned and people need to be changed in their life through what Jesus was going to do on the cross of Calvary. He said, follow my example. The third key is found in verse 17, and that is that you should desire the status of blessing. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. Instead of, instead of all of this being a drudgery, this serving and this, this, this bowing down and, and waiting on others and all of that, we will gain when we give ourselves away. We don't understand that sometimes in our culture, do we? We think we've got to climb the ladder. We think we've got to get this position. We've got to get that. We've got to exert ourselves, and we deserve it and all of that. And yet, when we really gain is when we give ourselves away to other people. There's a depth of joy experienced when we humbly give ourselves to others. Now, don't miss how we have been brought full circle in this passage. We started, you remember, watching how Jesus' specific knowledge led him to action. And now he tells us to let our knowledge move us to action as well. We say, well, what's, 
What else? Isn't there a, a more of a point to all of this? What, what our Savior did here, I, I, I would say to you, has mystified and mortified and amazed people for years. This passage has been researched and analyzed and criticized because of its powerful consequences. Jesus appears to be heading in a direction that is contrary to popular opinion and practices. What's he doing? What's the point of this whole story? And the point is this, in a sentence. My standard of status powers my willingness to serve. My standard of status powers my willingness to serve. In other words, my perspective of who I am will determine my motivation to lend a hand to others. So what is your standard of status? There are three, there are three biggies in our world, particularly here in America. The three biggies are appearance, performance, reputation. We are driven because we want to look good. Because we want to do well in life. And because we want other people to respect us. Those are powerful motivators in life. And they will short circuit any behavior if in doing it I could possibly look bad. Or I might fail. Or I might lose the admiration of others. But Jesus wants our standard of status to power us into being servants just like it did for him. And so with a clear sense of identity, we can get involved in any duty. So what are those standards that Jesus wants us to have? Well, look again at verse 3. In verse 3, again, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand, when, when we see that, that's his power, and, and, uh, and that he had come from, the, from God, that's his origin, and that he was going to God, that is his destiny. So what's your power? The, the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. That is my power. My power has nothing to do with me. My power has nothing to do with my position. My power has nothing to do with the accomplishments that I've had in my life. My power is in Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what is your origin? John says, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We have been adopted into the family of God. We are part of God's family. That is our origin. And what's your destiny? Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 11, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am convinced that when we know our true identity in Jesus Christ, then we can serve others for Christ. But as long as our standard of status is dictated by this world, I guarantee you we'll hold back. 
will regretfully decline and will simply seek what's good for us. But with Christ, uh, uh, but with a Christ-like standard of status, then there's no telling how far love will go. In fact, this passage shows us four ways how powerful love can be in serving others. And, and just four things here, and we'll wrap it up. For example, powerful love, it will not conform to convenience. It will not conform to convenience. It wasn't convenient for Mort to take care of his wife all of those years. When we look at verse 2, verse 2 tells us that, that, that in, in the, the, the structure in the Greek, I know in reading, reading, I was reading from the New King James, maybe if you have another translation, it's a little bit different, but, but I read, and the supper being ended, but the structure in the Greek says, and during supper, it wasn't a meal like, it wasn't a meal like we, we put a meal on the table and we eat it and it's all done. It was a process, particularly the Passover. It took some time to go through all the steps of the Passover. Passover, and so they were in the midst of the meal taking place. They, they would sit there throughout the evening eating this meal, and so during the middle of that, Jesus gets up and he washes the feet of others. How easy it would have been for Jesus to think, I know I smell dirty feet, but the waiters have already brought some of the food, and, and if I do this, then, then everyone's going to have to wait uh, in order to eat, and the food is going to get cold, and I, I just don't want to do this. I'll, I'll, I'll do it at another time. Jesus didn't wait till it was convenient to serve, and neither should we. Because I'm telling you, there will always be a reason to put off serving. I'm too tired. It's too late at night, 9 o'clock. Good grief, that is late, you know. I'm in bed by 9 o'clock at night. It's too, it is too late. I, I, I need to wait until I get another paycheck. The program's already started. Others are, are waiting for me. I'm, I, I, I'm too old or I'm too young. or That's a woman's job anyways. I shouldn't be doing that. What would others think of me if they see me doing a woman's job? Or that's a man's job or whatever. There's always reasons not to serve. But love will not be stopped by circumstances or convenience. When we know who we are in Jesus Christ... There's just no telling how far love will go in serving. But then second, our, our status standards are Christ-like. If they are Christ-like, then our service for others will not be intimidated by evil. In verse 2, it's interesting passage there. It says, and the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I don't know whether you thought about that or not, but can you imagine Jesus going from one disciple to the next, washing their feet, lovingly serving them, caring about them? I imagine Jesus probably said a few words to them as he would wash their feet. I mean, because he entered into a conversation, obviously, with Peter. He probably talked to others. I would love to know what was going on when he came to Judas's feet. I can only imagine in my head that when Jesus bent down in front of Judas, that Judas might have thought, Lord, if you only knew what, I was about, what I'm about to do, 
that I'm going to betray you, that I, I, I'm going to sell you out. You wouldn't be doing this for me. And I can imagine Jesus knowing exactly what Judas was thinking and Jesus thinking in his heart, Judas, if you only understood how much I love you. I'm doing this for you. I'm going to the cross for you. I love you. Could have we, could have we served somebody like that if we knew they were going to hurt us so deeply? Are, are you willing to reach out and serve others who have hurt you in your life? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. A neighbor. You see, this kind of love is not intimidated by evil. The story is told of a Chinese Christian who owned a rice paddy next to one owned by a communist. And the Christian irrigated his paddy every day by pumping water into the canal by using one of those leg-operated pumps. In other words, it was like a bicycle and he would get on it and he would pedal and it would pump water into his irrigation area. And, and everybody's fields are kind of next to each other and there were boards that they would use to kind of block off the water so they could fill up their rice paddy and 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 it was at a very critical time that the rice needed the water in there and he would get his filled up and he would leave and he would come back later in the day and find that all of his water had been drained to his neighbor's rice paddy and his was dry again. And, and, and he, would, he would have to fill his up again. And he did this day after day. Every day it happened. And, uh, and so the Christian then, he prayed, Lord, if this keeps up, I'm going to lose my crop and I won't be able to feed my family. What am I, what am I supposed to do about this? Why don't you do something about it, Lord? And then the Lord put a thought into his mind. And so the next morning he got up earlier than usual and he put the hose into his neighbor's field first, and he filled his neighbor's field. And then when he finished filling that, he filled his own field. And he did this day after day until the rice was ready to be harvested. Both fields were beautiful. This servanthood led to the two, two of them developing a relationship to the point that the Christian eventually was able to lead his communist neighbor to Jesus Christ. All because he was willing to be a servant to a person that in his mind was evil and was hurting him. It's amazing how far love will go. The third characteristic of powerful love is it transcends any concern for appearance. Verse 4, Jesus took off his robe, he took a towel and he girded himself and he had the water. He didn't say, okay, somebody get some water. I got, I got an important thing here I want to do and I want everybody to notice what I'm doing. You see, Jesus not only did the job, but he looked the part and he was not the least bit concerned about what others thought. Did this run counter to the cultural norms of his day? Sure it did. No one wanted to be thought of as a servant. That was repulsive to them. As long as we are burdened by the, exp the, the expectations of others, we're not going to serve because we will be too concerned about what they are thinking about us. 
Let me give you the fourth one. How far will love go? It overcomes the inertia of others by initiative. I don't believe that night that Jesus was the only one that was overcome by dirty smelling feet. I think that everyone in the room was aware of the fact that the normal custom of foot washing was not done. But what was different between Jesus and the rest of them, they were all talking about who was going to be the greatest. And the greatest certainly isn't going to bow down and wash the other one's feet. And yet here is Jesus washing their feet. They were all waiting for someone else to do it. In other words, this whole group had become passive. Inertia had overcome them. Or they were at least willing to overlook the whole, whole thing because they didn't want to stoop to the task. But you, did you notice that love initiates? Even if everyone else in the room where you are is ignoring the problem that's in the room, love will step out and go into action. In other words, we are called to serve, and that means that we cannot afford to wait and do it only if the rest of the herd is willing to follow us. And if I also know my destiny, (laughs) I am going to heaven. Man, this is just a place for me to prepare for that wonderful day when I get into the glories of heaven and all of that, I will then be welcomed into heaven by my Savior and Lord. You will receive a rich welcome, Peter says, into the eternal kingdom of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must take the initiative, but, but, and this is where we come back to the standard of status. If we are convinced of our power, I can do it. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if I am convinced of my origin, then serving like this does not determine my identity. I am sure of my identity. I am a child of God because John says, but as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, the Father. Then initiating by myself, if I have all of these, no problem. No problem, because I know who I am. At the end of World War II, an American soldier was driving across London in his Jeep, and as he stopped at an intersection, he noticed a young boy who was peering into the window of a bakery. The boy's clothes and his lack of of shoes identified him as a war orphan, and as the soldier watched, he too could see in the window, and he could see that there was a baker in there and, and, and he had opened an oven and he had pulled out some freshly baked pastries. The hungry little boy was watching carefully every move that the baker was making. So much so that the soldier pulled his jeep over and quietly came up behind the little boy and the little boy didn't even know he was there. And as the soldier got close enough, he could hear the little boy groan. As he watched the baker place the pastries on the counter and, 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 and put the topping on those pastries, oh, they looked so good and the steam coming off of them. And so at this point, the soldier laid his hand on the little boy's shoulder. And he said, son, would you like one of those? And the little boy said, yes, sir. And so the soldier went inside and, and, and he talked to the baker and he gave him some money and he didn't buy just one pastry. He came out with a dozen in his bag and he handed that entire bag to that little boy. 
He said, here you go, son, enjoy. The soldier turned and he began to walk away. Before he could get in his Jeep, he heard the little boy calling after him. Mister! Mister! Are you God? Are you God? Folks, can I say that you are never more like God than when you're willing to give yourself away? Because it is absolutely amazing how far love will go. Let's pray.